Something special, something good always happens on Chris Fabry Live when we have a visit with Dr. Winfred Neely. He's vice president and dean of Moody Theological Seminary. He has a pastor's heart for issues that you and I struggle with every day. And if you're trying to overcome worry in your life, or maybe you're dealing with events in the past that affect you in the here and now, don't miss the conversation today at the Radio Backyard Fence. And uh, here's what I'm going to say about Dr. Neely. On this birthday of D.L. Moody, he'd have been 187 today. So tip of the hat to you, D.L. Moody. Well, that's a lot of candles, isn't it? This is also Black History Month. It's designed as a time to honor the contributions and legacy of African Americans in U.S. history and society. But when you talk about the history of African Americans in this country, there are some difficult topics that come up. And I often hear, stop looking at the past. Don't bring all the negative up. I want to talk with Dr. Neely about that and some other important topics as we launch this Monday edition. Online, chrisfabrylive.org. We thank the team assembled, Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Anthony will be answering your calls today. I think D.L. Moody, I just call him D.L., Dwight Lyman, he would be glad that our thank you this month is a book by Ron Hutchcraft. It emphasizes the fact that there are people right around you today who need the light of the gospel. What if you saw that family member, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, as someone assigned to you by God to bring that good news of the gospel? The book is called A Life That Matters. We talked about the three open prayer with Ron last Thursday. Do you know what that is? I want to send you a copy of this book. Give a gift to support this program today. Of any size, we'll send one to you. 866-95-FABRY is the number. 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Ron says, there is no heart beyond God's reach. Do you believe that? Have you given up on somebody? We talked about don't give up on Friday. Have you given up on somebody? Will you be the ambassador that that other person needs? Go to chrisfabrylive.org. And by the way, the three open prayer is from Colossians chapter 4. Open the door, open their heart, open my mouth. That's not a bad prayer. Dr. Winfred Neely is Vice President and Dean of Moody Theological Seminary and Graduate School, former Senior Pastor of Judson Baptist Church in Oak Park, Illinois. He's retired from there. He served as a missionary and a pastor in Senegal, West Africa, for nine years. He and his wife, Stephanie, have been married, it's again, almost to 50 years now, isn't it? Well, it'll be 48 this year. 48. Mm-hmm. So two, two and a little bit shy little, of 50. A little bit shy. Four children, ten grandchildren. Is that still true? That is correct. Okay. How to overcome worry. We've talked about that here, experiencing the peace of God in every situation. Something good happens every time you come back. Um, Let me ask you that question, Mm -hmm. if you believe. There is no heart beyond God's reach. Do you agree with Ron on that? I do. I do. I, 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 I believe that. Um. And I thank God for that. And uh, I honestly believe in light of Scripture that there is hope for every person that is breathing this side of heaven, provided they trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. 
How can they trust him if nobody tells them about them about him? Well, we do have to open our mouths and talk to people about Jesus. You know, it's, uh, of course, living a life that commends the gospel is a part of that process. I mean, it, it you know, when you, when people in your community see you there and you're walking with God, they begin to observe and notice there's something different about that person. I wonder what that is. And that does lay the foundation for us to share with them the wonderful difference that the Lord Jesus has made in our lives for time and eternity. When we trust him as our personal Lord and Savior, he saves us forever and redirects and reorients our life in ways that are just absolutely wonderful. And he will do the same thing for you if you open up your heart and trust him today as your personal Lord and Savior. He's good. I've always been enamored with that passage in First Peter, <clears throat> always be ready to give an answer to everyone. And you think, to, uh, for the, to asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So there is, and it's not like you, you shouldn't talk to anybody who doesn't ask you, but mm-hmm. live a life in such a way that they see your hope and then quiz you. They want to know <laughs> what in the world is going on here so that you can give that answer and do that with gentleness and respect. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. And we have to be open to these kind of, uh, I guess, divine appointments in life. I think we can get so busy as Christians, get so caught up in life that actually stopping to talk to someone about Jesus can be construed as an inconvenience. Mm. And we have to be careful about allowing our heart to get to that place, which is not good. Today is D.L. Moody's 187th birthday. Isn't it incredible that a man born in the 1830s and a school that was begun, you know, years after that in the 1880s could still be going strong in 2024? That just blows me away. How about you? That blows me away, too. And it is, it is an expression of the goodness and grace of God extended upon the uh, the ministries uh, of, of MBI. But, you know, I think D.L. Moody said somewhere that he wanted to start revelets and streams that will continue to flow after he was gone. And by the grace of God, we've seen that. And I think that's important for us to learn from him about leaving a legacy. Yes. And think about the time that he lived in. Because I hear an awful lot about, you know, the rancor and the division, et cetera, et cetera, in in the country and even in the church, but especially politically and all that. Mm -hmm. But think about the times that Moody lived through, the complexities of the Industrial Revolution that were going on and child labor and slavery and then the Civil War and the assassination of the president and Reconstruction and Jim Crow and all that. And he was right there in the middle of that Telling people the truth about the gospel. Yes, he was. He was indeed. And they were complex times, indeed, difficult times. And uh, yeah, so we thank God for <clears throat> for the witness of people like the El Moody during those difficult hours and years. His time, though, is the same in this sense. No matter how poor or how wealthy you are, you're in need of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God 
through Christ. And that's really what centers this institution that we're you know talking from Moody Radio Moody Bible Institute that's what has been the same through all those years right yeah that's right we have not deviated one jot or tittle from 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 the centrality of the gospel message and and that's very very, very important and um you know the lord says those who honor me i will honor those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, this is not to say that we have always been perfect. This is not to say that there have not been missteps. But it is to say that where we are today is due to the fact that we have a fundamental commitment to follow Jesus. Dr. Winfred Neely is with us today. As I said, something happens. Something always happens. I think it's part. it's just your heart. Your heart comes through, mm. and uh, if you if there's something going on in your life, you know, he wrote the book on worry and overcoming it. Uh, if there's something in your heart and life, or maybe there's somebody that is weighing heavy on your heart, and you want to talk about it today, don't give their name on the radio, but you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're listening today, and there's nobody weighing heavy on your heart, and you're wondering, what in the world's wrong with me that I don't have somebody that's there that I'm thinking about? Let the Spirit work in and through you today. Let me give you a number, 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. Let's talk about it today at the Radio Backyard Fence. Dr. Winfred Neely is with us today at the Radio Backyard Fence. This is Chris Fabry Live. And we're having a conversation about a number of topics. What's on your heart as far as prayer concerns and struggles and worries and anxiety. We're going to get into that. I really want in this segment, though, to talk about African-Americans, about Black History Month. Uh, February each year, it comes up, Black History Month. And when you were a child growing up on the south side of Chicago, you grew up in the Ida B. Wells uh, homes. The what's, What was it called, the Ida B. Wells? Mm-hmm. Ida B. Wells Housing Projects. Housing Projects, okay. Mm-hmm. I got a new book today of, well, actually late last week, and I'm going to talk with the author, Marvin Olasky, about, uh, this will air on President's Day. Mm. And he has a chapter in here on Ida B. Wells. Yes. Uh, and he says that Booker T. Washington, like Abraham Lincoln, knew what he wanted to achieve, but also made judgment calls about what was achievable. Lincoln, with his primary goal of saving the Union, moved slower on the turning on turning the Civil War into anti-slavery campaign than some critics liked. One critic was Ida B. Wells, who began her fight for integrated equality when she was a 20-year-old school teacher in 1883. <laughs> Just it You don't have to be very old to do something good. Wells at that time traveled each week a dozen miles north from Memphis, where she lived, and uh, she was on the, the train— when the conductor told her she had to move forward to a second-class smoking car in which uh, passengers smoked, drank, cussed, dodged sparks and ash from the engine. And Wells, believing that African-Americans like her should have the same rights as whites to public accommodation, refused to move. Who does that sound like? That Mm -hmm. sounds like Rosa, doesn't it? It does. It does, (laughs) yes. So the place where you lived, where you grew up in the 1950s, was named after her. 
Did you know about her story when you grew up there? I did not. In, in fact, it w- it's going to be some years before I began to study her and learn about her, her importance um, in, in our country. So, no, I, I had no idea of, of, about her. I just knew that that was the name of the place where I was growing up. And, 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 and I, I must say back then, uh, back then, uh, most of the families were two-parent families. There were some single-parent families then, but most of the families were led by a, a mother and a father. By and large, the environment was was stable, and I was protected, actually, uh, from the harsh realities of the world uh, in this in this. Um, this, this wonderful um, African-American community. But uh, it was, in some sense, an expression of injustice when you think about how many of us were over there, how many people lived in this small space. And I do remember one thing, Chris, that sticks, stands out in my mind. I remember when I was a little boy, every evening, Two police officers, now these were African-American police officers, but two police officers walked down the middle of the pathway between the buildings with German shepherd dogs. And I, I, even as a little boy, I was always troubled by, by the dogs. And I'm, I'm, I would ask them, why, why are we... Why, why do they have the dogs? And keep in mind, so you're, I'm young at the time, so I don't even have enough experience in life uh, to process uh, what I was going through. And so you had, and then there were these the, clusters of these projects, actually, Stateway Gardens, the Robert Taylor Homes, the Ida B. Wells Housing Projects, which, um, you know, basically designed to keep um, keep African Americans located in a certain place, and again, there was something. Now that I think about it, there was something really, really inhumane about it, and they, they are they're torn down today. Uh, the Robert Taylor homes are torn down. Stepway Gardens, for the most part, are torn down. Ida B. Wells, for the most part, are torn down because they represented something that was really something uh, painful. In the past, but yet in this context, God is at work. God is at work in this context. I started going to the church <laughs> when I was a little boy in the Ida B. Wells housing project. Walking, nobody bothered me. I was safe. I would go over there to church, and I was being commended for going to church by the older boys in the neighborhood. Project boys sees me coming out of my, coming down the stairs, and he says to me, look at you, Winnie. That's what they used to call me back then. Look at you, Winnie, with your suit and Bible in your hand. Good for you. And so I was, I was actually being affirmed um, in my church going and carrying a Bible uh, in the Ida B. Wells uh, housing projects, and God was clearly, clearly at work. I, do, I tell my wife sometimes, in our little apartment, in, in that housing complex, 
it seems as if I had another universe. I was in another universe. My house was well-ordered. Mother and daddy were at home. I mean, we had meals and everything was organized in the house. And that's followed me to this very, very day. So irrespective of the context in which a person lives, God can still be at work. Stability can still be granted. Protection can still be offered. And I know I'm speaking in general terms now because I know there are some contexts in our world today where that's not the case. But it's going to be some years later again to answer your question when I learned about the significance of Ida B. Wells. Mm. Did you, what kind of vision did you have for your life then growing up there? Mm. If, if, you're, if you had a mom and a dad, even though you know, you're living in that uh, mm. kind of the artificial place to live where you know, a lot, lot of floors, and, and the, the idea behind it was I think this will be like, uh, you know, the great big skyscrapers, the great big apartment complexes going to be great for people. And it didn't turn out that well. But w- what was your vision for life? You know, <clears throat> that's a good question. I don't think I had much of a vision for life beyond going to school. Uh, I, I don't think I had much of a vision for life. You know, everybody was just going to work every day, keeping food on the table. I still remember Mr. and Mrs. Pryor, you know, he had a barber shop in his apartment. Uh, my dad uh, worked for the railroad. Um, there really wasn't much. And moreover, you didn't see that many African Americans uh, on television. So I really wasn't presented, frankly, if I can be honest with you, with a vision of what my life could be. It's going to be a few years later, and I tell you when it starts. My mother took me to see In the Heat of the Night. In fact, she took me to see all of Sidney Poitier's films. My mother, uh, bless her heart, introduced me to the theater. So she would take me. She took me to see Sidney Poitier because he was a positive positive black person that was in the media. So she took me to see In the Heat of the Night for the Love of Ivy and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And so now, I and then we start seeing these other programs on, because by this time, my parents have moved out of the projects. They've moved out to another part of the city of Chicago. And this is when we started seeing some more black films, Room 222, I think it was, uh, I spy and those kind of things. And and again, it, I didn't have much of a vision for my life, but I felt good about the images that I saw on television. It was not until I trusted the Lord Jesus when I was 19 years old in the military. At 19 years old, when I trusted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, when I began to have a vision for what God could do with my life. But that came out of my conversion experience. I want to go back to In the Heat of the Night because the the scene, uh, that that <laughs> film is kind of seared in my memory as well because sure. I saw it when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, but the 
the the racist police officer mm-hmm. saying to Sydney's character, "What what do they call? I think he's from Philadelphia. What yeah, do they yeah. call you up there in Philadelphia? They call me Mister Tibbs. Yeah, that, you know. that's that's what that became a line in my <laughs> yes. family. That became a line. And in fact, you know, my brother Michael says it to me too. They they Does call really? me Mister Tibbs. <laughs> well, see, but see, that's an expression. That's biblical. He's created in the image of God. He's an image bearer. So that was an assertion of his God-given humanity in that moment. Yeah. And and courage, too, yeah. for saying it there. You better because there are places it. where Poitier's character kind of holds back. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, you know, he's kind of sensing the things. But then it just... It overflows. And isn't that the uh, – talk about the – there's a the film Gladiator when uh-huh. the the, uh, the Roman emperor Nero, whatever, uh, Quintus says, what is your name? And he won't tell him and he turns around. He won't tell him. Mm-hmm. And then finally he takes off the mask and he's yeah. supposed to be dead. And he yeah. says – this long string, mm-hmm. you know, of of things. This is who I am. Yeah. That was the same thing that Poitier was saying in that role in that film. It was the same thing Rosa Parks was saying on that bus, and it was the same thing that Ida B. Wells was saying on the train. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same things when you see people with holding protest signs saying, I am a man or I am a woman. Yeah. And and yeah. that's 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 uh, that's and what we forget in the midst of all of that is that those kinds of assertions are theologically rooted and anchored. We can say that because we are image bearers, fallen, yes, marred image, yes, but bearers of God's image, nonetheless. We don't have to have give people dignity; they already have inherent dignity yeah. as bearers of the image of God. Which takes us to, to Dr. King. Now, you were a teenager when you probably first heard him speak, right? Or at least on, on the media or in news well, reports, that no, kind of well, thing. I, the first time I heard MLK, now we were still in the projects then, but the first time we heard MLK, I heard it from my mother. She, uh, My mother was a Southern girl from Mississippi, and um very, very, very Southern woman for a lot of grace and just the way and elegance in terms of the way she had carried herself. And she had she was all dressed up, had her purse and said, I'm going to hear Martin Luther King. And that was the first time I heard of MLK was in that moment. And that starts my journey to finding out who he is, because I thought to myself, well, if my mother believes that MLK is going is worth going to listen to. Maybe I need to find out about who this man is. But you never, uh, he came to Chicago in the 60s. You never she saw him. Oh, then, no, my right? mother would not have allowed it. Yeah. No, she, 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 she wanted to protect me, okay. basically. It was she, dangerous. It was dangerous, yeah. Yeah, and, and he, he spoke about that. He spoke about the, the you know the racism in, in the South, but he also said some really hard stuff about Chicago. Mm-hmm. He did. That it was a real struggle. Now, I, let, me, let me jump in here because I, re- I was trying to remember it. I think I was in the fourth grade, and this would have been a couple of years after the assassination. Mm-hmm. But I, there was a long-playing record album 
and and headphones that we could go over in the corner in the media center, which is just, you know, a phonograph and headphones. And we could listen to, and I think it was the I Have a Dream speech that was on this long playing record. Okay. And listening to that as a child um, in, a, in an elementary school where there was no African-American, there was no other, you know, child who didn't look like me, basically. Mm. But as I heard that speech, I thought about it as an American message coming from a man whose life had been taken and that the loss was for all of us, that he was not just speaking, and he was speaking for African-Americans or anyone who was disenfranchised. He was talking about everybody. Yeah, I mean, he... He, this is a wonderful example of visionary messaging. You know, I have a dream um, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. You know, so forth and so on. So it's 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 a it's a visionary, and he, in other words, he's painting a picture of what could be. And I mean, I mean, he's quoting Amos, "Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness, like like a mighty stream," and uh, digs deep into the to the to the language of 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 the American context in ways that are rhetorically brilliant to get the point across, and the speech shook the nation. Yes. And we are a better country because of it. I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. Dr. Winfred Neely is with us today on a Monday edition of Chris Fabry Live. 877-548-3675 is our number. There's more coming up straight ahead on Moody Radio. I want to give you some encouragement as you talk with family and friends, maybe even people in your church about the issue of life. I read about Jean Marie on the CareNet website today. She went to her local pregnancy center and said, I'm homeless and I'm pregnant. How are you going to help me? She told her story at the March for Life event a few weeks ago. She met Phyllis at that pregnancy center and told her, the desperate situation she was in. And through that contact and the strength of her newfound faith in God, Jean Marie not only overcame a drug addiction and trafficking, which had happened since she was young, she gave birth to her son. And fast forward to today, she's now the executive director of Branches Pregnancy Resource Center, which is a CareNet affiliate in Brattleboro, Vermont. <laughs> She is giving the kind of help that she needed to others who are struggling with some pregnancy decision. You can read Jean Marie's inspiring story when you click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org. It's stories like her that show the work that CareNet is doing one heart at a time. And if you have somebody in your life who says to you, ah, you pro-life people, you only care about the baby until it's born, let them read that story. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, click CareNet, and read the Abundant Life blog and tell others about choosing life. Click CareNet today at chrisfabrylive.org. 
Dr. Winfred Neely is with us from uh, Moody Theological Seminary and Graduate School. Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And then he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And of course, reading those words back, it kind of doesn't hold the gravitas of his music, the musicality that he brought to those words, you know, and that he almost sang them over that crowd there at the Lincoln Memorial. But as I heard that when I was, I think I was in the fourth grade, as I heard that in those really uncomfortable headphones <laughs> that mm. they gave you back then, I something sparked inside of me. And I wonder if it wasn't the same thing that Lincoln was trying to do at Gettysburg, which was hallowing the ground where these brave men fought here and spilled their blood and gave the last full measure he didn't make a distinction between the sides. He said, we are all in this conflagration. You know, he brought them all together. And I wonder if that wasn't part of what Dr. King was doing and what he was calling us to even today. Yeah, well, you know, when you think about that, it was, <clears throat> it was a um, radical and bold notion to suggest that the sons of former slave owners and the sons of former slaves will sit down together at the table of brotherhood. That was, um, that statement implied a lot of things. Forgiveness, reconciliation, uh, ownership of the past, with a but with a commitment to make a better future, and this is why Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross, uh, according to Ephesians, in, in Ephesians, in order to tear down the wall and to reconcile both Jew and Jews and Gentiles to God through the cross. And so that the uh, the work of Christ on the cross is designed to bring people together, recognizing that people are separated from not only from God but from one another, enmity and hatred, so forth and and so on, and so that that vision that King articulated uh, is made possible in some measure today uh, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So when you hear people say, stop looking at the past, don't bring all the negative up, let's just move on, what do you say to that? Well, I would say that um, that's irresponsible. It's, um, that's the easy way out uh, it, it seems to me, Chris, that we have to own the past. I, I didn't say that we have to be obsessed with it, but we have to own it, see what it was. This happened. We own that. 
and we experience the pain of that today, but we decide together that by the grace of God, we will forge a better future. And it seems to me that that is the uh, biblical way forward. One of the problems, if I can be honest, one of the problems is that we really haven't had a hard conversation about the past in this country. We've never had that conversation. Well, I mean, we talk, but we've never had something comparable to what they did in South Africa or even what they've done in Germany, for goodness sake. They talk about the Holocaust. They have monuments. They talk about it in schools because they don't want to go, not because they're obsessed with it, because they see the value in learning from the lessons of the past to make sure that we have a better present and we have a better future. And so those are just my, <clears throat> you know, my, my, my thought, thoughts about that. Well, okay, we, if we're in a, a place where we can talk about it, now, now is the time, and let's 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 let let's talk about this in the framework of the gospel, so that we so that we can move forward. We're not the first country in human history that has some things in its past that it's ashamed of. Okay, that happened. Let's forgive one another. Let's move forward, forge a better future, so that we can focus on the present and forge a better future instead of being obsessed with what we have not talked about. I mean, if I, my wife and I have been married for 47 years, and there's no way in the world I'm going to say to Mrs. Neely when she disagrees with me about something or we, we have an argument, I'm just can't, I just can't look at her and say, okay, well, let's just not have a talk about what happened and move forward. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? it ain't going to happen. <laughs> well... But it's because you love her enough to listen to her and to to identify with her pain yeah. and if it's and if there's something that you have to apologize for, then you're willing to do that. And I think that's part of what the struggle is in the culture, but let's just talk about the church. Part of it is the the, the people who have my hue <laughs> on their skin feel like I never had, you know, I didn't, that wasn't me. I, I didn't, so, so I don't want to feel guilty for something I've never done. And I don't think that way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And by saying that, then they push the person who still feels the pain of the past weighing down the present. You, you, you don't identify, you don't move toward that person. You keep them at an arm's distance so that you don't feel something. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean it's 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 I mean it's it's interesting. I I think um Brian Stevenson in his book Just Mercy, I think every follower of Christ should should read that book. And I would also encourage them to look at the film Just Mercy, which is based on a true story with uh Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan being the primary characters. And just to see about um, even the criminal justice system and people on death row who did not commit crimes. I mean, you know, and and just our lack of not being concerned about 
those things, it seems to me is 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 a problem. And that as a follower of Christ, I need to be willing to open my eyes and see life for what it is and take steps accordingly to to advance advance the kingdom of God. But, you know, again, this stuff is in the air. It's kind of strange, but it's 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 in the air, you see. And and we really we and we got to figure out how we, how we come to terms with this. Now, I mean, for for example, um, when I was growing up here in the city of Chicago, I got pulled over by the police all the time. I was a follower of Christ. I was working at West Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in an invasive cardiovascular lab as an invasive cardiovascular technician. I was the first African-American to hold that position at West Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center. But I was being pulled over by the police all the time. And I didn't know why. But it was only several years after that when I thought to myself, I probably was being racially profiled because I was a young African-American man who happened to be driving a nice vehicle here in the city of Chicago. And so those are the kinds of things um, that we need to, to, to work through together to be able to have those conversations together. And, and this way we can, we can help one another. But one of the benefits, uh, Chris, that I found from pastoring Judson Baptist Church, a multicultural church, a multi-ethnic congregation is this that I was able to develop deep relationships with white people. I was able to de- develop deep relationships with, uh, with Hispanics. And, uh, and what happens when you develop those deep relationships with people of another culture, another race, what happens is that it keeps you from generalizing. So that when you run out and you have a bad experience or someone discriminates against you, because of the color of your skin, my personal relationships in the church keep me from generalizing about people. And this is why uh, one of the good ways to address this particular issue is to make sure that we have more robust uh, churches that are interracial, uh, multicultural so that we can do life together, get to know one another better, model the oneness of the body of Christ, and create a context where every voice is heard and recognized and valued and cherished in those spaces. And then we're able to go out into a broken world and address these ways, matters in ways that are, that are, that are, that are, that are more healthy than they would be otherwise. Yes. I think you've touched on something really important, and I don't know if you realize another thing that you've done in this conversation. I'm going to bring that up in our final segment here with Dr. Neely. Winfred Neely is our guest today at the Radio Backyard Fence. You can find out more about him and the book. We have it linked. Just click through today's information. How to Overcome Worry. Anybody? Show of hands. Experiencing the peace of God in every situation. Find out more at chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks for your support at the Radio Backyard Fence. If you're not a Back Fence partner, come on in, jump on in the pool, give a gift each month to Chris Fabry Live. We'll send you a copy of The Promise of Jesse Woods, a novel that I wrote. 
a signed copy of that, as well as the Back Fence Post. This week, you got to see the Back Fence Post where we excerpt something that happened last week on the program. Don't have time to tell you more about that, but uh, we could use your support. Just call 866-95-FABRY or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Dr. Winfred Neely is Vice President and Dean of Moody Theological Seminary and Graduate School, author of How to Overcome Worry. And the thing that you've done here today, Dr. Neely, in talking about the different things that we've talked about, especially about African-Americans and Black History Month, you brought up uh, four movies. And the first was In the Heat of the Night, which made a connection with both of us. The last one that you talked about was Just Mercy. And I think it points out the power of the arts, the power of the media, the power of the written word, the power of a story Mm. to change a culture, to change a heart. Do you agree with that? I really, really do. And uh, I think there's a scene, and, you know, I met Brian Stevens, uh, Stevenson um, um, several, uh, last year, actually. And, you know, he was in undergraduate school at Eastern uh, University, and he heard John Perkins speak. And as a young Christian, that energized him. He decided to go to law school and did an internship with working with prisoners on death row. And this is, and the Lord is going to just use him and change his life uh, so that he helps people who have been condemned uh, unjustly to, to get off. There were even children on death row. And Brian went there and the Supreme Court changed laws to prevent that from, from happening. But there is a scene in Just Mercy uh, when Mr. Macmillan is exonerated. And um, and uh, it was Jamie Foxx did such a good job in that role because when he found out that he was free, uh, the, the, the weight of it just was all in his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, thought to my, I thought to myself, my goodness, what a way to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as, as a Christian lawyer, someone who really has is gospel-centered and rooted in Christ and wants to do the right thing and will get people who have been incarcerated in our own country and, and unlawfully to find their freedom is a wonderful testimony to the power of Christ to redirect a person's life into ways that are that are wholesome. And doing that kind of work, that lays the foundation to talk to people about Jesus. Why do you do this? Why do you dedicate your life to doing this? I do this because God is a God of justice. Um, his justice was satisfied through the death of Christ on the cross. He shed his blood. And now this holy, righteous, and just God is able to justify any person who trusts Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And coming out of a righteous relationship with God, now I want to live my life in ways that are righteous, in ways that are just, to mirror the character of God. 
which will cause others to ask that same question. Why yeah. do you do this? Why, why do you have this hope? Mm-hmm. Why is that light coming from you? Talk to the person who, who doesn't have that today. What do they need to do in order to receive what you're talking about? Well, remember this. Um, <clears throat> if you're listening, God, God loves you. I mean, he really, really does. And he sent his son Jesus into this world to die on the cross for you. And Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. So if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, well, um, you don't know what I've done or what I've done is so awful. Uh, I don't need to know what you've done. God knows, and Jesus died. He died for all of your sins, all of them, all of them. And if you trust him as your personal Lord and Savior, by faith, God himself will forgive you all of your sins and bring you into an eternal relationship with himself forever and change your life right now. And this is not to say he will change all of your circumstances, but he will change you and he will grant you the grace and strength to deal with any issue and concern that you have in your life. I trust that you will come to know him today and the forgiveness of your sins and then receiving the gift of eternal life from the hand of Jesus. The way I, the most simple way that I can explain it, and I've said this recently, is I'm just going to agree with God. Amen. God, I agree. I'm, I'm, you're holy and I'm not. Hmm. And I need you to do something in me that I can't do. And that's what Jesus did. And if that's you today, I want to give you a phone number that you can text the word gospel to. Uh, G-O-S-P-E-L. Just text the word gospel to 800-600-9624 and you'll receive a reply with scriptures that will lead you through what Dr. Neely was just talking about, how to have that relation, that right relationship with God mended, reconciled, fully forgiven, and his child adopted into his forever family. There's nothing better that you could do. Text the word gospel to 800-600-9624 or go to the website chrisfabrylive.org at the top and the bottom. We have how to know Christ and knowing Christ as well. So any way you'd like to do that. And Dr. Neely, as I said, something good always happens when you come by. Come see us again. I will, Chris. Thank you so very much. God bless you. Go to chrisfabrylive.org and remember the program's production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Happy birthday, D.L. Moody.